we come to worship today, whether you join us in person or indeed online, whether you, this is a regular for you being here or whether this is your first time with us, uh, we bid you a, a warm welcome. And today we celebrate around the Lord's tables, remember his life, his death and his resurrection, uh, remembering that we come to worship the God who is alive and who is well, uh, who is in our presence in this moment, um, the God that we can worship in spirit and in truth. Um, we hear some first of scripture as we begin today. This is how God showed his love amongst us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so we might die to sin but live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us ever-present in no matter what circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in. And your presence brings strength and grace and mercy. So, Father God, as we set time aside to focus on you in this moment, may we receive from you afresh and anew. Not all that we desire, but all that we need from the God who knows our needs even better than ourselves. So grant us your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to invite Julie to come forward and uh, bring us the reading today. Today's reading is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives you life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, and even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Julie. And so these uh, summer Sundays, uh, we travel through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, as he challenged, you heard me say a couple of weeks ago, it's one of my favorite books in uh, the Bible. It's full of encouragement. Um, it's a deeply theological book. There's lots you can unpack out of it. Um, but it's also a really, really um, challenging book. 
Um, and as you, I'm rereading it um, over the summer, obviously, as I'm preparing for this as well, and um, deeply challenged by much of what it brings to the fore. Um, let's pray as we begin today. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us, that your spirit lives in this place, that you have not left us alone uh, or to our own devices. So Lord, would you come and pour yourself out in this place today? May your word and not my words bring truth and light and life into our very hearts. In your name, amen. Last couple of weeks we've been thinking about um, that sense of freedom. Um, as I said, whenever I hear that word freedom, I think of that Braveheart uh, movie and uh, Mel Gibson as William Wallace shouting, freedom! And everybody charging uh, forward to receive the freedom that they so eagerly desired. And yet God offers that us to us on a daily basis and so often we kind of walk away and think aha that's maybe not for me uh, I can't step into that I don't know how to and so we explored some of that a couple of weeks ago we talked about um, that idea of um, that there's a battle around us uh, going on before us and over us and around us and last week we thought about that confusion that little hamster in the wheel going round and round and round and the things that we step into we feel we can't step out of um, the excuses and the battle and the confusion that rages in our bodies, uh, but yet the Lord calls us to step forward into his presence to receive from him. And so Paul's letter continues today into this chapter 8 as he really encourages the church to understand and to know that they can have the freedom that they so desire. Now, obviously, whenever this letter was written, there was no chapter numbers or no verse numbers, and it all kind of flowed as one uh, in paragraphs. Uh, but we kind of take it now and we bite-size it. We, we shift it down into chapters and into verses. And sometimes we take uh, those little verses and sometimes we take them as encouragement or challenge. And sometimes we take them out of context as well. We read one particular verse and we forget uh, about the rest of it. Uh, for instance, Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, and often that's written in a little card maybe, uh, typed up. We buy it in the in a local faith mission and we send it to someone as a moment of encouragement um, we, we, we speak it over somebody whenever we want to encourage them if they're stepping out in faith to go and do something but we miss Jeremiah 29 and 13 it says that only comes whenever you give God all of your heart everything that you have absolutely everything then the plans that he has for you falls into place and so sometimes we take little verses and we place them in our eyes, in our mindsets, in our humanity, uh, so that it suits us. And chapter 8, verse 1, sometimes is set like that, actually. Because it says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Show of hands this morning, if that's okay. Um, who would like me to give them some condemnation this morning? Anybody? No. It's not something that we want, sure. It's not, it's not something we wake up in the morning and think, oh, do you know what? I'd love to be condemned today. I would love everything to be pointed out in me today that is absolutely wrong and going against everything that other people want. It's not what we desire. And so whenever we read this verse, therefore now there is no condemnation for those here in Christ Jesus, we go, ah, oh, brilliant. Absolutely amazing. That means that only the good things Come to the fore now. We don't have to consider any of our frailties or any of our faults 
or any of our sin. Because there's no condemnation for that anymore. But as we see as we travel through this chapter, that may not be entirely the case. Now, bear with me as I say that. Don't call me a, label me a heretic uh, just at the moment, all right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, that verse comes as preceded by chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And in those chapters, it talks about how our sinful nature and what we deserve from our sinful nature is death and destruction. And so really what Paul is saying is that even though you still live in your sinful nature, even though you still live in your humanity, in your flesh, there is no condemnation for you because of what Christ Jesus has done for you. What he done on his cross, the blood that he shed, the price that he paid for your salvation. Because it says in verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And so this no condemnation rings with those words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, whenever he says, I have come to give you life and life in all of its fullness. Because the thief only comes to kill, steal and destroy. And so those two sit together, don't they? That sense that God, Jesus, has come to give us life in all of its fullness. And Paul says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first two tells us that we are set free from the spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life. See, last week we talked about that, I, that struggle that we have of knowing what it is that we should do, but not knowing what it is that we do do but knowing that we do what it is that we shouldn't do because we don't do what it is that we should do, and then we feel guilty because we've done what it is that we shouldn't do, even though we knew that we shouldn't do what it was that we'd done, and we should have done what it was that we knew we should do. Think I've got all that right? They've had a round of applause before. That's quite good. Um, no, so, but, so, that, so this comes into that moment. Because in that moment, that struggle, that awareness that actually what we do on a daily basis is in a battle. It's in the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's a battle between our humanity and our, our spiritual awareness of who we are in Christ Jesus. Or new life, or new creation, as the scriptures teach us that we are. And so it sits in that place where Jesus says, he came not to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so the law being the Old Testament, um, the law being the moment where um, the Jewish nation, the chosen people of God, followed all the regulations and rules, rituals and patterns of life um, to the nth degree. And they had to do X, Y, and Z in order they could be clean and cleansed and forgiven by God. And Jesus says he'd come to set us free from those things. To give us freedom to walk with him in a newness, in a new, as a new creation. So that that struggle that we have between the flesh and our spirituality, that struggle that we have between earth and heaven, that struggle that we have of trying to step off the spinning hamster wheel of consistency in our lives, it means in that struggle that we can know that there is no condemnation for us if we are in Christ Jesus. 
like a prodigal son, he is standing like the father with his arms wide open, waiting for us to arrive. He sets us free. Verse 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be the sin offering. Let's just take that back a little bit. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God created a perfect world. Then sin entered that perfect world. And so there was a brokenness, a gap, a disjointing between God and his creation. And so God, over a period of time, gave a number of people that understanding of what it would mean to be in a right relationship with him. And so we have Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. We have the law uh, all the way through Leviticus. And in those moments, those things were given so that the chosen people of God could be right with God, could commune with God as close as they possibly could in order to restore that relationship. But in our sinful humanity, some people decided, oh, hold on a minute. If we did this, and if you did that, then that could get you closer to God, even though that's more than what the law required. And if you did that, and then you did this, and you gave such and such to the temple and to the priest, and you did X, Y, and Z, then you get even closer to God. And so in our sinful humanity, we stretched and pulled the perfect law that God gave to his creation to be in a right relationship until it was completely distorted. And that's what this verse is about. It's about God speaking into that distorted understanding of the perfect law and saying, that law is now powerless to bring you into a right relationship with me because you have distorted it. That's why I sent Jesus. That's why I sent Jesus in and like you as a human, as a man, walking, breathing amongst you, understanding everything that you go through. So that you could look at Jesus and you could say, he is like me, but not like me. Because in his death, everything is now made perfect. Because in his sinless state, he now creates the opening for you and I to be in a right relationship with God. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be the sin offering and so he condemned sin in its sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. The price for each one of us to be right with God was so high, too high, that none of us could attain it. We can't. No matter how hard you try, you will not be able to attain it. No matter how hard I try, I will not be able to attain it. But the good news is that Christ has already attained it. He's paid the price, the penalty for our wrongdoing. That's the difference between law and grace. That's the difference between that stretched and distorted understanding of getting right with God through our own actions and through our own merits and through our own ways and knowing that 
It's only through the grace and the love of Jesus that this can be done. Because Paul says those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We talked a little bit, a little bit about that last week. That idea of where our focus was, where our gaze was or is. Is our gaze on those earthly desires, those immediate pleasures that we have, or is our gaze on something more eternal, something that almost feels as if it's out of our reach at the moment, but we know is within our grasp at the same time. Where is your goal and your focus today? In a a purely simplistic manner, what are your aims for the rest of today? Like, what, what do you hope to do today? This week? This month? This year? What do you hope to attain? Purchase? Buy? Accumulate? Achieve? Because we can do those things with a heavenly viewpoint that what it is that we think, say, or do is about how it impacts our relationship with God and for God and for the community around us because of what He has done for us. Or we can do it out of a selfish ambition. It says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition but for the benefit of others. Do you imagine a church that does nothing out of selfish ambition ever? But only for the benefit of others. That would be a very attractive community, wouldn't it? And the scriptures often require us to check and balance ourselves as a church against a statement like that. What are our ambitions as a church? Are they selfish? Or are they to benefit others? And often those collective ambitions start off with the individual's who are a part of the collective. And so as individuals, as we seek to benefit others through faith in Jesus Christ, then our church, our community of faith, grows and becomes attractive to the community around us because the community around us sees something that is attractive because it's not about us, it's about him. And so they start to ask questions. And they start to want to join a community that isn't there for themselves. Because that's completely countercultural. Because we're all taught to look out for ourselves and our culture and our society today. 
Verse 6 says in Romans 8, the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God. It does not sub submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Who would like to have life and peace? All right, none of you. You don't want to be condemned, but yeah, but yeah, but there's more hands starting to go up, isn't there? Because actually, those are the things that we want. We want that. We desire that. And so our lives, our minds, are to be controlled by the Spirit, the things of God, and not by our own human desires. Because whenever they're controlled by the things of God, it's in those moments that we begin to realize that He is sovereign and in control. That things happen for reasons and for purposes, that He has a plan for our lives, and that even though some of those things do not go the way that we want them to, He is with us, present, right here, holding us up, like the footprints in the sand. But if we continue to be controlled by the sinful nature, if we continue to be in that hamster wheel that goes round and round and round, then the Scriptures say, not by the sinful nature, but our spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Your spirit is alive. You know a wonderful statement. Your spirit is alive. You know the um they say the eyes are the windows to the soul, don't they? They can tell a lot by somebody's eyes, um, whether they're alive inside or whether they're dead inside or uh, whether there's anything going on inside at all. You can tell by someone's eyes. I, I remember um, in my curacy um, burying an elderly lady in her mid-90s um, who'd been born blind, completely blind, had lived all of her life blind. And I used that phrase at her funeral. The eyes are the windows to the soul. And I used it because any time that you sat with that lady, even though she was blind and could see absolutely nothing, her eyes were alive. It was really strange and unusual to sit in her presence. Because mostly someone who's blind, eyes are almost glazed over and you can see a, a, almost a, a deadness within that particular organ of the body. Her eyes were almost dancing with mischief. They were so alive. And I can only put that down to the like of this kind of understanding in Romans. That she knew Jesus. And that because he lived in her, it overflowed out of her. And even in her human frailty, weakness, brokenness, as she described it, life still emanated out of her. Because as Romans 3.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. No, Romans 3.23 isn't that? That's Romans 6. Romans 3 and 23 
is that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 6 and 23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that's where Paul's continuing on here. This isn't, remember, this wouldn't be written in chapters and verses, as we said. So this is one big letter. So Paul's picking up from that earlier part of the letter to the Romans, and he's saying, do you remember I said that the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God was eternal life? Well, actually, here's how you do that. You live with a heavenly focus, and you stop worrying about the earthly. Now, that's not to say that we throw everything out, and we go, ah, do you know what? James said on Sunday we don't need to worry about anything anymore. So, uh, do you know, of course we have concerns and worries in this earthly transitory life. Of course we do. But our focus is not to remain in that place. Our eyes are to be cast heavenward and to look up. And the scriptures never leave us wanting. They may ask and I show up lots of, bubble up lots of questions within us, but they never leave us one thing. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead but also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. That's his offer for us today. No condemnation in him. Freedom from him. Fulfillment, peace, love, joy. But we need to make the choice. Are our eyes cast down to our earthly lives? Are our heads lifted up to the spiritual realm around us and to the goal and the prize of heaven? Living with Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we hold all of that intention in our thoughts and in our minds as we travel through the rest of our service today. As we remember his life, his death, and his resurrection. As we remember the power that that brings into our daily lives. No more condemnation. The opportunity for freedom and fulfillment. So what is our choice today? What is my choice today? Eyes down or eyes up? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us a choice. You make it clear how to choose. And you make it clear when to choose. But now is the day. So help us in this moment to lift our eyes towards you and to focus upon you like never before. In your name. When I stand and sing, the Spirit lives to set us free. So let's just finish with a blessing. Peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, bless upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.